in my lifetime, I've come to learn that a lot of things we assume just happened are oftentimes well-planned in advance. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. On my desk, I've got some notes here for producing today's radio program and even tomorrow's show. And I'm trying to decide which bits of information to share today and other things we need to discuss. Matter of fact, I've got something planned for the second part of the program to encourage you and to give confidence to the church of what our calling and mission is. But so many things that we assume just happen oftentimes are planned in advance in the background. You may not see it. And you just believe we're going day by day dealing with a circumstance or a crisis or something or whatever the matter may be. But it was well thought out, well planned, even contingencies depending upon how people react. And and I'm more and more convinced that I'm just going to spend a little bit of time, not much in the first part of the program, kind of saying I told you so without really saying I told you so. I was thinking the other morning. There was some information I shared with you April of last year, back on the old Your Weekend Show. The information is 100% true that I'm about to share with you and what I shared with you back then. Still true today. Matter of fact, some of the information I'm going to give you came from, of all places, the John Hopkins University, uh, their website. There was an event that occurred way back in 2019. It seems like a million years ago now, but it's not even two years. Not even two years ago. There was a a gathering in New York City in October of 2019 that was called Event 201. Now, Event 201, a lot of you have heard the term before, was something that John Hopkins University called a global pandemic exercise. And of course, This particular exercise was by invitation only and pretty much held behind closed doors. The financing for this event came from none other than the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Just so you know, this is all information you can get or could get from the John Hopkins University website last year. When the event ended, a little while later, A short 11-minute highlight video was released that the public could see. I found a copy of that video way back, and I downloaded it in case it ever should disappear. And I got it from the John Hopkins University website. I want you to listen just for a moment, just for a moment to the first roughly one minute at the beginning of this video. I want you to listen. Now, remember, this came out about a month before we really started hearing about the potential of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. So listen to the first minute of this video for event 2001, an event that occurred before the pandemic. It began in healthy-looking pigs months, perhaps years ago. A new coronavirus spread silently within herds. 
Gradually, farmers started getting sick. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. The sickest required intensive care. Many died. Experts agree unless it is quickly controlled, it could lead to a severe pandemic, an outbreak that circles the globe and affects people everywhere. The mission of the Pandemic Emergency Board is to provide recommendations to deal with the major global challenges arising in response to an unfolding pandemic. The board is comprised of highly experienced leaders from business, public health, and civil society. We could be looking at double the number of cases in one week and 16 times as many in a month if we are not able to stop the spread. That would be on the order of half a million cases and it would continue to rise exponentially. In three months, we could be approaching 10 million cases. We're at the start of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. Hmm, global business and government working together. Almost sounds eerily strange, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but the verbiage about Event 201 highlight, uh, this is from their highlight video of what they had done. It sounds like all the verbiage that started being tossed around beginning in March of last year. It's most concerning as it reinforces many people's opinion, including mine, that there's something about this pandemic we went through and are still, in a way, going through that just seems too well planned. Too many perfectly ready systems and solutions, including some data dashboards and worldwide death tickers. We saw those on CNN and elsewhere. I'm beginning to believe that Well, I've always known evil tends to reveal itself openly, yet most people are so busy with their lives, they rarely connect the dots. Just like with biblical prophecy, sometimes we fail to see what is right before our very eyes. Now, any project, this is just my opinion, that involves the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation should should send chills down your spine. As with that foundation, the motives sometimes are not as pure as they would, you know, have their PR people lead you to believe. It was in 1999 when Bill Gates gave over $20 million to John Hopkins to establish a wing of the hospital where the foundation that uh, is known as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was born. The foundation is always hidden behind the concept and mantra of, of health and helping, you know, being nice. Uh, they, they wanted to help, in particular, women in third world countries. And, and the thrust of the foundation has been working with the, you know, big pharmaceutical companies to create, of all things, uh, vaccines for the masses in impoverished countries. You know, for years... We've been watching as the founder of Microsoft, now retired, you know, and remember that Bill Gates built his company literally off uh, what some people claim is a stolen operating system and some other things. He's used his billions of dollars 
in the foundation he and his wife created. Of course, his wife now is divorcing him. Maybe she knows some things we don't. But he used his billions of dollars to give free vaccinations to people in third world countries. And now Bill Gates is also the founding partner in another company. And this one, I want you to pay attention carefully. This is not some conspiracy theory stuff. Believe me, it's, it's all out there for the world to see. This one is called the ID2020 Alliance. And its goal, its stated goal right on their website, I'm not making this stuff up is to give every human being on earth a digital ID. Now, this is not some kind of science fiction or conspiracy theory. You can go to id2020.org for yourself. That's id2020.org, and you can, you can read all this. I mean, it's right out there. This is not made up. Right from their website, it says that in 2018, ID2020 Alliance Partners, working in partnership with the United Nations, High Commissioner for Refugees, drafted a former articulation of their perspective on ethical approaches to digital identity. Now, the landmark ID2020 Alliance manifesto lays out these shared principles right there on the website and forms a starting point to guide the future of digital identity on a global scale. They also say the need for a good digital ID is universal. The ability to prove who you are, now listen to this carefully, how this always is couched in terms that sound so good. The need for a good digital ID is universal. The ability to prove who you are is a fundamental and universal right, a universal human right to have a digital ID. They say because we live in a digital era these days, we need a, a trusted and reliable way to do that both in the physical world and online. Now, yesterday I pointed out on the program, if you listened, uh, the program yesterday talked about the power of shortwave in a digital era. Because, see, digital things can be easily turned on and off. Your connection points, your anything of that nature, um, this radio program, your banking can all disappear at the push of a button. It also said on the website, ID2020, they're jointly committing to an implementation of a digital health ID program. And this program seeks to provide, ready for this, Infants, infants with a portable, biometrically linked digital ID, either at the point of birth registration or, listen carefully, this is from their webpage, I'm not making stuff up, or at the time of routine immunization, in other words, vaccinations. So what they're saying is there, by combining mandatory vaccinations, they'll have some way to implant a digital ID in the future, in the not-too-distant future, in the very near future. Genius, isn't it? And coming soon, 
as the saying goes, to a theater near you. Getting back to a moment to Event 201. Once again, this is from the John Hopkins University website. And this is and what it says, the John Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum. Hey, where have we heard World Economic Forum before? I'm thinking, oh, that's right, Klaus Schwab and his great global reset where you own nothing and you will be happy. So we have the John Hopkins University Health Security, the World Economic Forum with uh, Saint and Claus or Klaus Schwab or whatever, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Those are the three entities that put all this together. Event 201, a high level, this is what it said on their website, high level pandemic exercise in October of uh, 2019, October 18th to be exact. And it occurred in, of all places, New York City. The exercise illustrated areas where public and private partnerships will be necessary during the response to a severe pandemic in order to diminish large-scale economic and societal uh, consequences. Isn't that scary? Think about that. Remember, Event 201 was called a tabletop exercise. Now, in that jargon, because I worked in emergency management, is where we come in not knowing what the scenario is going to be. We may know little bits and pieces. We sit down. You have people that have their expertise. They call them, you know, EFS, emergency, you know, the ESF, the emergency service function that they do, whether it be uh, information, whether it be planning, whether it be logistics. Uh, whether it be private enterprise, whatever the case may be, we sit down and what they do is they start throwing you a scenario and you have to begin to to respond with what information you know. And they keep throwing more information at you to see how you do in, in responding to this, you know, whatever the crisis may be. Now, I want you to listen carefully that was, that was sort of the 11-minute video was the highlight video of that event, Event 201. I played for you the opening that lasted about a minute or so. And I want to play for you now the, you know, the final conclusion. It, it runs about one minute. This is after they show how people interacted. It's not hard. You know, I'd rather not play all that. But listen to how they... They summarize what, a ha- you know, what occurred at Event 201. The outcome of the CAPS pandemic in Event 201 was catastrophic. 65 million people died in the first 18 months. The outbreak was small at first and initially seemed controllable, but then it started spreading in densely crowded and impoverished neighborhoods of megacities. From that point on, the spread of the disease was explosive. Within six months, cases were occurring in nearly every country. The global economy was in a free fall. The GDP down 11%. Stock markets around the world plummeted between 20 and 40% and headed into a downward cycle of fear and low expectation. Businesses were not borrowing. Banks were not lending. Everyone was just hoping to hunker down and weather the storm. Economists say the economic turmoil caused by such a pandemic will last for years, perhaps a decade. 
the societal impacts, the loss of faith in government, the distrust of news, and the breakdown of social cohesion could last even longer. We have to ask, did this need to be so bad? Are there things we could have done in the five to 10 years leading up to the pandemic that would have lessened the catastrophic consequences? We believe the answer is yes. So are we as a global community now finally ready to do the hard work needed to prepare for the next pandemic? And once again, I remind you that everything you're hearing came from the John Hopkins University website. I didn't produce this. I didn't make it up. I didn't write it. This is from their script. And this video came out before the pandemic that we have known as SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, came into being in February, March of 2020. They were saying this thing may have started in November, like the month after this event, 201. Rather suspicious. The participants in Event 201 were invited there by the rich and powerful that pretty well rule the world when you think about it. They sat around and wargamed how an outbreak of a coronavirus might even go. And it looks like the meeting must have been very successful because just one month to the day later, the first case of COVID-19 was reported in China, and you and I know the rest of the story. Now, you might remember the other day, I shared a little audio clip from our good friend, Dr. Anthony Fauci, also known as the wizard of COVID and the father of the Wuhan virus. And and I want you to remember, I played it the other day, and I want you to remember, really think about this, This is what he said in January of 2017, just as President Trump was coming into office. There is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. And I hope by the end of my relatively short presentation, you will understand why history, the history of the last 32 years that I've been the director of NIAID, will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges. I'm sure it's safe to say that most everybody listening to me doesn't remember Fauci saying that back in in 2017. You know, it was not a big news story. It's just something he said. It's on the record. But it goes back to what I was saying early on in the program. Evil always reveals itself in advance. It's just that we're oftentimes not able to connect the dots. There's a lot happening on the world scene. Very quickly, a quick reminder. You are listening to the program Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Today, I've got a few things that I want to talk about. But I wanted to show you that a lot of the things that people assume just happen are sometimes too well planned in advance. And and as the word gets out, I I would say that 90% of the American people just go day by day when it comes to trying to live their lives. Uh, 
They don't pay attention to a lot of the news, so it just goes unnoticed. A lot of people don't watch the news at all. They get their news from, I don't know, late night TV or Facebook, Twitter. It's not a good place to get news. But the truth has always been out there. It's just getting hard to find it with all the noise from the well-crafted media that have become true propaganda artists. If you stop and think about it, during the Second World War in Germany, even before the war broke out, a lot of people just knew what they knew from what they were told in the movies or on radio at that time. There was no TV. Media was controlled. Newspapers were told what they could and could not publish. Some people observed things that made them very suspect and very concerned. But you didn't dare speak your mind because you'd already heard rumor about, you know, how you'll be ostracized. You're, you'll be made a, you know, a pariah in your own community. So a lot of people never really spoke out. They just kind of went along each day. They just went along to get along. And a lot of people just eventually believed enough of the propaganda where the whole country could be led into war. Evil always reveals itself. It's always there. There's a lot of things happening in what I call the prophetic world. I'm not going to get much into it today. But I see things that are happening on the horizon that I find concerning. And I'll give you more detail about it. Eh, Maybe I'll start tomorrow, if not definitely on Monday. I do know this much. The Biden administration... And I, I honestly believe that Joe Biden is merely a, a puppet in the hands of, of his masters. I think that they're cashing in on his 50 years in political service in D.C. And they know that he is pliable and controllable because he is suffering some mental deficiencies. Remember... He became the vice president of the United States in 2009. They ran in 2008, he and Obama. So you're looking at a time of over 12 years since when he ran along with with, with Barack Obama. And if you look at video of Joe Biden, who was actually running for president in 2008, and you look at video today, There is a dramatic, not a minor, there is an absolute dramatic difference in his appearance. I know we all get older. I'm getting older, too. I get it. But his mind is thoroughly, it seems, not to be there at times. If if anything, if he wanders off script, he's helpless. He's lost. And that's something that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he, he didn't have that issue. So I do believe that the elitist on the left, and I still say there was election cheating. We'll, we'll have some more stories coming up over the next week or so as the dominoes, I pray, begin to fall and, and the light of truth begins to expose what happened in darkness. Another story for another day. But I do believe that Joe Biden was the chosen like Hillary Clinton was in 2016. They just didn't cheat quite hard enough. They didn't get the stuff out there fast enough. 
and her own email server scandal didn't help her any. And so I think she thought the election was in the bag, and that's why she was so upset on election night. And the interrupter by the name of Donald Trump messed up the plans of a lot of people for the Obama's, you know, third, you know, second, and then hopefully eventually third term. It all went down the drain, and that's why there was so much screaming, yelling, and gnashing of teeth in the leftist media and from Democrats and from the unhinged and the, the people that are the sickos in our society. They couldn't deal with it. They couldn't deal with righteousness. They can't deal with it. Look, I'm not saying that Trump is a righteous man. I'm not saying that at all, but his policies were 180 degree different from those of the left, and those of the left have policies that are literally of the Antichrist. And so that's why there was such anger. That's why there was such distortion. That's why the attempts to use the power of government to bring the man down. Phony impeachments. You you can go down the whole list. Doesn't matter. Evil always reveals itself. A lot of folks think that the United States is a big deal in prophecy. I I really don't think so. But I do know that a lot of the things the United States is doing is facilitating watching prophecies come true. The Biden administration, I was getting ready to say before, we're kind of pulling out of the Middle East. And nature abhors a vacuum. We started trying to create peace in the Middle East, and now we're setting things up for disaster. There's a lot of things about Iran that a lot of people do not understand. And I've got a story that I want to share maybe tomorrow or Monday about Iran, and we'll go back all the way to the 1970s and move forward. And its place in history. Never think that the Arab, or I should say Islamic world, is thoroughly united. There are several groups of people within the Islamic faith that are, they're blood enemies to each other. And the most unstable regime in the entire Middle East, in my opinion, is Iran. And they don't get along with Iraq. That's why they've had wars. They don't get along with the Saudi Arabians. But they get along with those groups that are trying to destroy Israel. And Israel is, in biblical prophecy, sorry, some of these people that I used to know and respect in in this in Christian radio have gone to, you know, God threw away Israel a long time ago. They're wrong. They're going to find out how wrong they are as time progresses. We need to talk about biblical prophecy and where the world is heading. Germany is a player. Russia is a player. China is a player. And the Middle East is going to become a powder keg. You know it and I know it. In the next half hour, I've got something that I'm going to be sharing with you. We have a break coming up in just a moment. If you believe in what we're doing here at Truth to Ponder, would you let me know? You can go to our website, truth2ponder.com. That's truth2ponder.com. You can also write us at our mailing address, 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's important. Number 263. That's how the folks at the post office know to put it into our secure box and nowhere else. Number 263 in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. That address again, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 
30537. If you can help us out as we raise the funds to be ready for the next month, you can make the check payable to Ancient Word Radio, and I thank you in advance. If I've been lax in getting back to some of you with a letter or an email response, understand we are traveling and working without the best of ability uh, from time to time and day to day. So be patient. I will try to get back to you the best that I can. But continue to write and let me know you're listening to Truth to Ponder. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The Apostles' Confession. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Rabbi Shaul, whom we know as the Apostle Paul, wrote an amazing thing in 1 Timothy. He says, it was at the end of his life, he wrote, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul was saying, in effect, I was wrong. I was not just wrong, I was totally wrong, unequivocally, absolutely, totally, 100% wrong. I was wrong about the Lord. I was wrong about the Bible. I was wrong about Judaism. I was wrong about religion. I was wrong about my life and everything I was doing. I was wrong, dead wrong. He not only said that at the end of his life, he undoubtedly said it, and acted on it and manifested it and lived it from the moment he encountered God on the road to Damascus. It all started there with three holy words. I was wrong. Had he never been able to say those words, he would have never been forgiven. Had he never been able to say I was wrong, he never would have been given a ministry. He never would have been able to preach the word or proclaim the gospel or declare it in the synagogues or to the Jewish people or to the Gentiles or be an apostle or write the epistles or change the world. In fact, everything he ever said or wrote, the book of Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all rested on three initial words. I was wrong. Therefore, those three words must be very powerful. It turned the chief of sinners into the foremost of apostles. How much more can it do for you? Don't fear saying I was wrong because those very words in the grace of God will set you free from the old and open up your life to the healing and glory of God. And it all begins when you say, I was wrong. Want more? Ask for the power of being wrong. Now, how'd you like to receive special daily meditations and teachings with the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus and give you victory for every day of your week and updates on Israel, world events and prophecy, a free subscription to Sapphires and the incredible, the mystery of the temple doors, all free. You'll love it. How do you get all these free gifts? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You'll be so blessed, but call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. And I invite you to join me in the Great Commission to bring salvation back to the Jewish people and to reach millions of unreached peoples around the world on five continents. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. Or write me direct, The Nice Jewish Boy, at Box 1111 in Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, zip 07644. I'd love to hear from you. It's The Nice Jewish Boy. It's Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend, and Messiah, Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of Truth to Ponder. For the Thursday edition, I'm your host, Bob Bierman. This half hour, I want to change direction quite a bit. I want to share something that's very encouraging. There's 
actually two little messages contained in what you're about to hear in a few minutes. I was talking to a couple of my ministry friends over the last several days. Two people in particular that I know, that I work with, and it seems all three of us, without even communicating with each other, have been have been feeling the same little vision of, of sorts. And it goes back to the entire idea of what is the church, which is the living body of Christ on the earth. The church is not a building. The church is not a denomination. The church is not a set of rules and regulations written by men. The church is not pipe organs, stained glass windows, or praise bands. It's none of the above. The church is what the Bible calls the ecclesia. The ecclesia meaning those that are called out, those that are the body of Christ on this earth. And I think too many people forget that. They, they, they don't realize that the church is really the body of Christ, the living body of Christ on this earth. The Bible says that we are in this world, but we are to be separate from this world. Too many people today are so committed to the world and its structures and its organizations and its demands that they have pushed out the most important aspect of their lives, their relationship with Jesus Christ, has become a secondary endeavor. It really has. And and I recognize that. I see it uh, in, in the world. In my lifetime, I have watched how the United States, once a very blessed nation under God, has become a secular nightmare under Satan, literally. And churches are now in the minority in terms of especially the true church. Forget the woke churches that are busy celebrating sin. They finished up celebrating yesterday Pride Month. Many churches did. But the Bible says there'll always be that remnant church. And and my concern as I looked at what happened in, in just one year with the pandemic, how fast churches were shut down and believers were told to disperse and they were treated worse than any other group. They really were. If you're honest, look, Canada, Canada's a nightmare when it came to what they did to in fear of this this virus, this pandemic. And that's what it is in my in my opinion. We're called to do a greater work. We're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to be united in Christ. And we're given those that have gone on before us as examples in how to live our lives. I can remember at my grandparents' funeral, we used the the hymn uh, for all the saints who from their labor rest who thee by faith before the world confess thy name, O Jesus. Too many Christians are not really that committed anymore. Back uh, several years ago, I I preached a message to a congregation, and and it really talks about these two topics, coming together in Christ and what it means to be a follower of the saints of old. And it's just like I was saying, the ministry friends of mine were being We're being led to provide these places of sanctuary for the believers in the difficult and judgmental days that are to come. We never discussed this before, but there are three of us now that the Lord has laid this same vision, something I'll be talking about more tomorrow. But I want to share with you 
this particular message that I preached a couple of years ago. And, and I'd like to, before you hear the message, just share this one hymn with you to kind of open your your heart to receive this very important message. Father, as we come to this time, as we go into your word, today in particular, reminded of all those that have labored in your vineyard and have gone on before us, may we be worthy to follow in their footsteps, and may we also be worthy of your calling in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Now, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Today's sermon is not going to be all that long because today is a communion service. And to me, it it really doesn't make sense to celebrate All Saints Day 
without having communion. And there's a reason for that. One of the great gifts I think we forget in the table of our Lord, if you go to the words that Jesus said to his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, and you see that term used in the English as we have it, do this in remembrance of me. We've all heard those words. The word from the Greek is animatesis for remembrance. And that word has a far deeper meaning than something we simply remember. We all can remember things we did in high school. We can all remember things in our life, important events, and we remember them with fondness. But this word has a little bit more pull. It says to bring into the present those things of the past. See, as human beings, we forget something about the divine nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He transcends time and space. We can't do it, but he does. He's not confound. He's not confound by the bounds that we are placed within in this human existence. And so as we fellowship around this table today, we are actually fellowshipping with all those saints that have gone on before us as they partake as well, as we do this in remembrance of him who died to redeem us. And dare I say, as a lot of theologians have speculated, and I agree, with the saints yet to come, because we transcend that time and that space. A quick acknowledgement of something in today's lesson that stands out. You notice when Jesus in the gospel lesson today is talking, talking about these Pharisees and scribes, they sit at Moses' seat. That's a seat of honor. And Jesus says, listen to them and do as they say, but not as they do. How many times have we heard that expression before? Jesus is pointing out they may know how to tell you the truth, but they fail to live my truth from my word. The word of God instructs us in a lot of things. Some things we're instructed to do, I know, are just natively to our human nature, not easy to do. To understand even communion sometimes goes beyond our comprehension. Some people are afraid of communion because they've seen what St. Paul writes, you know, to never take it unworthily. It doesn't mean that we are worthy to take it. Trust me, I'm not worthy to receive that gift up there. No one is worthy to receive it. The disciples, we're not worthy. It's the manner in which we take it. It's not our self-worth. It's are we taking it in a worthy manner? Are we giving it the respect and understanding that this is a gift that ties us and binds us together in the faith. Just so you know, when I do the service today, because it is All Saints Day, and because we are remembering, we are remembering those that have gone on before us, I'm going to use a slightly different prayer of consecration. It's one you don't have in front of you.
but it's one that I feel for this particular day is slightly longer, not by much. But I think the words are beautiful and the sentiment that I think we need to understand is contained in those words. And I hope that we can gather together at this table. All of us are welcome to receive. We opened our service today with one of my favorite hymns. For all the saints, even as a child, not even comprehending the depth and the meaning of that hymn, for all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confess. Thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In my life, and maybe, maybe perhaps in some of your lives, we hear that hymn on a couple of occasions. Of course, it is the most predominantly used hymn in many churches for celebrating all saints. But how many of us have heard that hymn at a funeral? I know I have. Many a time. I was newly ordained a little over 20 years ago to the ministry. My grandparents had prayed since the time that I was about this tall that God would call me into the ministry. They had to wait till they were well into their 90s before I ever got that far. And I was, they were blessed to see me in the ministry ordained. And shortly after that time, one by one, they left this world. My grandfather first, and about a year and a half later, my grandmother. And I was asked by my father, he said, Robert, do you think you could conduct your grandmother's funeral? I did. Then my grandmother's. I've been there. And we always use that hymn at the very end for all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confess. I had very godly grandparents that prayed for me to make sure that I got to this point in life. Today we remember those that have gone on before us. And I hope that every time you hear that hymn, I'm going to borrow a hymnal here so I can remember the last verse, because sometimes this to me is one of the most emotional hymns for me personally. As we gather to say goodbye to those that we love, those that we have that assurance that the Bible teaches that to be absent from this body is to be present with our Lord. It's that fourth verse and sixth verse that really, really always hit me. Verse number four, O oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle, they in glory shine Yet we are one in thee, for all are thine. Hallelujah and hallelujah. And I always think of the book of Revelation as it talks about those saints that are before the throne of grace, singing 
and raising their voice, Hallelujah, worthy is the Lamb. When you come to this last verse, from earth's wide mounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl streams in the countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Hallelujah and Hallelujah. One reason I put that hymn early in the service today is if we had sung it right before I had to preach, I don't think I could have gotten started. Because every time I hear that hymn, I think of all those that I have loved and all those throughout the centuries Many that gave their life in martyrdom for the faith. And it thoroughly humbles me. To follow in their footsteps. These saints, those that we love, those that live within our hearts. Yeah, I have many in my life, as some of you know to watch them leave this earth to say goodbye with that hymn. Heavenly Father, it is true as the hymn said, we feebly struggle on this earth and at times we don't understand those and the pain that we go through at the time of loss. But Father, you have given us the power of your Holy Spirit to give us comfort in those times. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. So that when that day comes that we stream in to your heavenly kingdom, we will hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, bless this congregation, and may our eyes and our ears be open to understand the love that you have for us and the place that you have prepared for us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. Those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary Their lives a stirring testament To God's sustaining grace Surrounded by so great a cloud Witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly
dreams have come and gone And our children sift through all we've left behind May the clues that they discover And the memories they uncover Become the light that leads them To the road we each must follow Green, and will he find you faithful when he returns? For many Christians, a lot of people that claim to know Christ, that claim his name, they've not been faithful. The Bible has a warning, and, and I think a lot of churches and a lot of people try to ignore it and pretend it somehow does not apply to them. Jesus is telling his disciples that in that last day, that on that day of judgment, there'll be those that said, well, wait a minute, you know, we did this, we did that, you know, aren't we believers and Christians too? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of evil. Go away. What is the priority in your life? Your job? Your career? your retirement, whatever the case may be, what is the most important thing in your life? Is serving Christ the most important thing you do? Is following his commandments something that is the foundation of your life? Is worship, prayer, and praise important? Is the idea of community becoming increasingly important to you? We learned last year that all of that can be taken away in a heartbeat. Getting together on a Sunday for church, coming together to celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, Holy Communion, whatever you you choose to call it. It's kind of hard to truly participate like the disciples did, assembling of themselves together when you do it on Zoom. We've had viruses and diseases since the fall of man. Yet this pandemic 
did something that we never saw in American history. It thoroughly shut churches down in many cases for over a year. Now, some were defiant. Some stood up. I think of one church in particular, John MacArthur's church in California, Grace Community Church, where thousands of people defied Governor Newsom's orders, and they met anyway, and nobody died, and nobody got sick from the coronavirus. Yet other churches that I'll meet, and people that I'll meet within them, they'll act like, no, we need to stay home, we need to be safe, you know, we have to be safe. You know, we, 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 we fear the virus. They have no fear of God, but they fear the virus. And I try to reason with these people about the power and authority of Jesus Christ over all things. They don't want to hear it. They simply don't want to hear it. No, we need to stay home and stay safe. Safetyism is the new thing. And I, I plan on discussing this new religion of safetyism. See, if you're someone that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, all you have is this life, and the religion of safetyism becomes incredibly important. The apostles were willing to lay down their life for the good news of the gospel. They knew that there are times you have to disobey the law of men when it is in contradiction to the law of God. See what Peter said. It's in the Bible. We must follow what God says, not what man says, when the two come into contradiction. This radio program is about life. It is about what we're going through. It is trying to decipher and break apart some of the news stories of the day to try to help you find the truth in a darkening world. Do you believe in the work we're doing here at Truth to Ponder? If you do, would you consider even a small financial gift? You can do it from the website if, if needed. Or if you prefer, you can send a check to 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia. Two words, Sky Valley, Georgia. And the zip code is 30537. And if you do send a gift, you can make it payable to Ancient Word Radio. Also, go to our website. You can find our, our radio channel, which is the Truth to Ponder radio channel, also now available on free-to-air satellite, Galaxy 19. Look for it. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.